Well, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the grace that you give that enables us to have the strength and the choice and the ability to be here to gather together to worship with one another. And Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We depend upon you for the grace that we need for our lives, that we might have the strength that we need, that we might have the wisdom that we need, that we might just have the circumstances of our life work out so that we could live for you and serve you. I thank you that we are here. I thank you for each person that is here. I pray for a blessing on each one. Forgive us of our sins. Again, I pray, carry our burdens away, O Lord. Minister to us by your Holy Spirit as we look into your word today. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, so please turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we're going to be focusing in on verses 1 through 5, and this is a a really interesting uh, passage of Scripture, as we'll see as we go through this, but I've entitled the message today, Heart-Touching Love, Heart-Touching Love. And as I go through the message, you'll, this, this will kind of unfold and we'll kind of understand what this uh, is meaning or what it is getting at. But let's start by reading in 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> I'm going to read the whole paragraph, which goes from verses 1 through 9, but we will be focusing on verses 1 through 5. It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannies and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So we see in this passage that in the last days, perilous times will come. This is verse 1. In the last days, perilous times will come. Now, I believe that we are living in the last days. And, and of course, you know, uh, uh, being who I am and living in this time and looking around at what's happening, it is not difficult to come to the conclusion, well, this horrible thing is happening and this horrible thing is happening and this horrible thing is happening and things are just getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, so we look at that and we tend to come to the conclusion or the idea that we are living in the last days. And, and Really, if you look at Scripture, as we uh, live longer on this earth, we come closer and closer to the return of Christ. And as we get closer and closer to Christ's return, evil will abound in this world more and more, and things will get worse. And so we see that in the last days, verse 1 here, in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous times will come. Now, when we're considering what it means to have this heart-touching life, love, there's this first thing that we must consider, that this love that we are to have, and that I'll talk about more, is going to be a love that must be exhibited by us as believers in difficult times, in perilous times. So, this word perilous is really kind of an intense word. It means troublesome, hard, difficult. It means hard to deal with, 
violent and dangerous. And so we might say or look at some of the things that we're facing. Yeah, that, I'm going through this and it's really hard and this is happening and that's really hard and, and uh, it's just very difficult. And, and that's what perilous means. As a matter of fact, it is such a strong word. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, it talks about these two uh, demon-possessed men and they're living out in the graveyards and it says in verse 28, Matthew 8, 28, when he had come, Jesus had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes. There, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. And, and look what it says here. Exceedingly fierce. Exceedingly fierce. So that no one could pass that way. So there are these two demon-possessed man, men, and they were so given over to the influence of these demons that were possessing them that anyone who came near them they it's implied they attacked them so no one was safe passing by the this graveyard here that had these two demon possessed men now notice it says they came out of the tombs they were exceedingly fierce and that word fierce is the same word as perilous in second timothy chapter 3 so this is the kind, the intensity of the perilous times that we might face. And uh, we consider that, you know, we can, we can look, well, I've got this health issue and it's, just, it's really just tearing me down. Or maybe you're having a relationship issue and it's just really tearing you down. And just whatever it is. Or maybe you lost somebody and that's just really tearing you down. And all of these things in life, life can be really hard. And there are all these burdens that we have to carry. And they weigh heavy on our hearts. It could be this intense perilous and fierce. But we shouldn't be surprised by it, especially as we move closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. In the last days, perilous times will come. Now, as we consider our passage here, it says that these perilous times will come because of other people. Because of other people. And so, uh, you know, you can look at the news and, and uh, we really have a lot of uh, division that's going on in our nation right now. And uh, praise the Lord for the good things that are happening, that Roe versus Wade is overturned. But at the same time, that just kind of elicits all kind of uh, angry emotions on the parts of both sides. And there's fighting and rioting and, and all of these things. We shouldn't be surprised by it, but we're talking about things that are happening because of men, people in the world. And, you know, if we look back in our lives, you know, a lot of times it's people that have given us a lot of grief, and we've given other people a lot of grief. Now, we've never given anybody grief. It's always them giving us grief, right? That's just how it goes. But it's because of people. Bad men are the source of these troubles. Bad men acting in bad ways. Look at this list again. For men, verse 2, will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. How did that get in there? Disobedient to parents? Hey, by the way, young person, teenager, kid, hey, look, disobedient, being disobedient to your parent is a serious, serious thing in the eyes of God. So, obey your parents. Oh, wait, that's one of the Ten Commandments, right? See how serious it is? All right, so, disobedient to parents. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers 
of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So uh, that's, that's quite a list there. And uh, anybody that we know, that, or whenever we ourselves exhibit some of these characteristics, it causes trouble in the lives of others, or it causes trouble in our lives. It's just unavoidable. And there it is. And so these are, how, these are the characteristics of how bad men will be, how they will act. But instead, we should look at this list and be prompted or be encouraged to be men and women of God. That, that should be the motivation for us. We do not want to be like that. We should not be like this, especially as Christians. Instead, we should be men and women of God. And I tell you, we live in a day in, where, in which we need men and women who are men and women or people of integrity. We need people who are of character and of good morals. We need noble people. We need authentic and genuine people. We need honest people, honest in business and honest at home. We need people who are reliable and upright, honorable and principled. These are all godly characteristics and qualities, and these are things that we, as men and women of God, ought to live our lives by. We need men and women who will follow God. I wanted to, um, this, this is our second point, to be a man of God. Um, I want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 12 here. And in this passage, it might be a little hard to see, but there are four words that are underlined in this passage here. First Timothy chapter six, verses ten through twelve, and I'll highlight them as I read through this passage. But notice what this verse says. It says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, there it is. And first, do this. If you're going to be a man or a woman of God, here's the first thing. Flee these things. Flee these things. So in the direct context of our passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we are to flee the love of money. Flee that. But if we're to broaden that and generalize that, flee all of these things that we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Flee sinful things. Flee away from them. And and here is here is the quality that a Christian ought to have when faced with evil. Don't dabble with sinful things. Don't stand in its midst. Don't keep company with it, even if you're not engaging it. Flee from it. Run away from that which is sinful and evil in the sight of God. Don't mess around with it. That's one characteristic of a godly person. They flee these things. And second, pursue. Now, when we flee, you've heard me say this before, we're not to just kind of flee or fly or run away from something and not go anywhere, you know, like a chicken with its head cut off, just kind of, you know, just flying all around. Well, he's not saying anything, but, you know, he's just kind of going all around. And um, that's not how we're supposed to do. We're not to, to run away from sinful things going nowhere. We are to run away from sinful things and head towards the right things. So a godly man, a godly woman, a godly person will flee these things, these sinful things, and pursue, here it is, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. 
These are ones that are listed specifically here. And I have to tell you that some of these, the love and the patience ones in particular, have been extremely challenging for me personally in recent days. We are to flee the sinful things and pursue all of these other things. Now, the idea of pursue means to go after. It's like you see it there and you're going after it. In football, it's like the person fumbles the ball and you see the ball. And what are you going to do? You're on the other team or you know, even your team. You're going to head for that ball with all that you've got in order to grab it. That's what it means to pursue. It is not, well, you know, I know I need to be righteous and I need to be godly and I need to have faith and love and patience. I need all these things. I know that. No, it's like, there it is. And you go after it. You pursue it. You seek it out in order to take hold of it. The next one. So flee and pursue. Twelve, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. If you haven't figured out, Christianity is not a lazy man's endeavor. It is a battle. It is a fight. We have enemies that are all around us that are pressing in. Enemies from the world and enemies from the devil and enemies from our own flesh. We have enemies that are all around us. And so Christianity is a fight that we are engaged in. This is a battle. And so be a man and a woman of God and stand up and fight for the faith. Fight to live the faith. Fight to be a Christian. Fight to be like Jesus. And then it says, lay hold on eternal life. Now that word lay hold there means to grab, to catch, to make it your own. Sometimes this word, lay hold, means to arrest. You go after the criminal. You go after who, the one who has done wrong. You take hold of him and arrest him. And you go put him in jail. That's, what it's, that's the word that's used here. And we are to take hold of eternal life. What? I thought eternal life was a gift that was given to me. I thought that I don't have to do anything to obtain eternal life. And that's definitely true. But here we are told that eternal life is something to be grabbed. It is something to be caught. It is something that we go after in order to arrest it. That's just to show the intensity of our pursuit of eternal life. Now, when uh, Paul says, lay hold of eternal life, he understands that God is the one who calls us to salvation. And so he'll say, and I've got, uh, I've got two words that are underlined here. It says, lay hold of the eternal life to which you were also called. So that's, uh, Paul's not ignorant when he says, lay hold of eternal life. He's not ignorant that it comes to us as a gift based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. So in order to be saved, we believe in Jesus and we ask Him for the forgiveness of sins and we commit ourselves to following Him. As a matter of fact, when uh, we have a baptism, it wasn't that great that we saw Jerry baptized and Jerry's daughter Michelle baptized last week. Wasn't that great? For those of you who weren't here, you missed it. Uh, Jerry right here, he is the oldest person I have ever baptized, 89 years old. And uh, praise the Lord for him to make that decision to follow Jesus. And there's really two things that we do when we uh, follow Jesus. And, and these two things are things that I have people say when they come up here to be baptized. The first one is that you believe in Jesus. And the second one is that you're going to pursue him or seek him or live for him the rest of your life. Amen? And so uh, we uh, 
pursue, we lay hold of eternal life to which we were called. God calls us to it. He is the one who is sovereign and He moves in our heart and He brings us to salvation. He calls us to salvation and then we also confess it. He calls us and we confess it. And there's this mystery of a cooperation that takes place on the part of God who calls us and on us who take hold of the eternal life and confess it as a part of our life. It's an amazing thing and a mysterious thing. But this is what the man of God does. He flees the sinful things. He pursues the good things. He fights the good fight of faith and he lays hold of eternal life. And so let's be people of God. There's another characteristic of a person of God and this comes to us from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The, the, the person of God, the man of God, it says here, is a man who pursues the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, in order that the man of God may be complete or capable or proficient or able to meet the demands of something, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we see if you want to live for Jesus and if you want to have what you need in order to live for Jesus, it takes this pursuit of Scripture in your life. So allow Scripture to do its wonderful work in you. It is profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction. It is profitable for that in order to equip us to live and to serve God. Our third point this morning Love versus love. Love versus love. Now, this is an interesting point about our passage this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you want to go there, 2 Timothy chapter 3. There are six references to the word love in this passage. Six. So if we look at this passage, we see that there is this reference to six different kinds of love. Now, you'll notice it says men will be. Here's the first one. And this is one word in the Greek. All of these are just single words in the Greek. The first one is lover of themselves. This is a bad kind of love. The lover of themselves. Men will be lovers of themselves. That's the first one. The second one, lovers of money. And that's a bad one too. So that's the second one here, the lover of money. The third one is um, un... At the end of verse... At the beginning of verse 3, the first word, unloving, unloving. Okay, you see that? Unloving. That's how the word should be treated. It means lacking in good feelings towards other people. Unloving. Hard-hearted, it can mean. Unfeeling. So, unloving in verse 3. You also have the word in verse 3, it says, despiser of good. This is a not loving what is good. And then you have the fifth one in verse um, four says they are lovers of pleasure. So that's the fifth one. Each one of these uses the form of the word love that is in Greek. It's phileo. Phileo. Just I'm going to use that word for simplicity's sake. And it is a brotherly kind of love. It is a brotherly kind of love. Now there are two words that we are used to hearing, I guess, when you, you know, hear people talk about love. The first one is agape. And again, I'm going to just say it that way just for sake of simplicity. Have you ever heard of agape love, the agape kind of love? Yeah, when we're talking in Christian circles, this is kind of the, the primary form of love that we are to have. 
Agape love is a characteristic of choosing to do what is right and choosing to be beneficial and helpful uh, in the life of another person. Now, you have agape love on the, other, on the one hand, but the love that we're talking about in this passage is a phileo love. It is the, the love, uh, the, the city Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? That's the, named after this Greek word phileo. It's just kind of, it's a brotherly kind of love. It is a, the kind of love that shows interest in somebody else. It is the kind of love that reflects your affection for them. It is the kind of love where you consider somebody else a friend. And this is a very important and powerful kind of love that we are to have as believers. So you have the agape love, the first one here. It is a choice. It is, not, it is an act of your will, and it is not based on feelings. That is the agape kind of love. And that is, that is the kind of love that God had when he loved the world and sent his son into the world. He loved us, not because we were lovable. He loved us because he chose to love us. And because he chose to love us, he acted by sending his son. That's agape love. But instead, this passage here is using forms of the phileo kind of love. The brotherly kind of love. It is the kind of love, like I said, that shows interest in the person that is around you. The the kind of love where you have an affection for the person. As opposed to agape love, which is an act of, a will, of the will, phileo love moves on your emotions a little bit more. You want to be in the company of the other person. You have an affection for them. You are friendly with them. That's phileo love. That's a brotherly kind of love. It is the love that we are to have for one another. Now, it's the kind of love like during the greeting time, right? I love the greeting time from the... From the first church I ever went to, which had a greeting time, I I was just always blessed by the greeting time. People going around and shaking the hand and smiling to one another and and hugging and and all of that. I love that. That just lifts the heart. It lifts the spirit. And uh, and this this is the brotherly kind of love. It is when you go out to your neighbor and you smile at them because you have a warm feeling for them. You have affection for them. You care for them. They are your friend. Brotherly kind of love. That's the kind of love that we have. It is the kind of love of kinship. It is the kind of love of you know going along with somebody else. The emotions are stirred. You have an interest and you care for what's happening in somebody's life. It is the kind of love that we show towards one another when we join in and bear their burdens. We bear their burdens because we care for them. And we join in together with them. And so we come to church and we see our friends. We go out and we see our friends and our families and we love them and we smile at them and we go over and we chat with them. Now that's opposed to the agape love. You come to church and you have an enemy in church. That would never happen, but let's just say, okay, you come to church and there's somebody you don't like. They are your enemy. You avoid them. You don't want during the greeting time. You see them coming up the aisle and you turn around and you go up the other way um, or you scoot across the seat so you don't have to uh, uh, say hi to them. But if you should turn around and there they are right in front of you, the agape love puts the smile on and shakes their hand just because you know it's right kind of thing. All right? It's an act of the will rather than scowling at them. And, all right, you never, don't, don't ever hit anybody in church, okay? But you get, the, you get the difference here. The one is you're choosing to do the right thing. The other one is you honestly care, you 
You want to engage the other person. You have feelings. You have an affection for them, a brotherly kind of love. You have a kinship with them. These are the people. They're your friends. You want to hang out with them. You want to eat together. You want to do things with them. That's the brotherly kind of love. And this is the love that this passage is talking about. It's five times it uses this form of love. And then it ends with this. And this is the sixth one. They love, they love pleasure rather than being lovers of God. And this is another form of phileo love. A lover of God. One who loves God. And this is not the only passage that talks about this kind of love that we are supposed to have for God. So, you know, we might consider... Here are the... the Five, and then you have the lover of God at the end. You, we might consider that our service and our love for God is an agape kind of love, and it is. But it is not just an agape kind of love. In other words, we're not just supposed to serve God out of duty and responsibility and obligation. That's part of it. We are also supposed to love God because we want to engage with Him. We love Him. He, he is our friend and we want to embrace Him. Or at least... We want to be embraced by Him. It is the kind of love in which we enjoy being in His presence. It is the kind of love that moves us to pray because we can't wait to pray and to come into the presence of God because we love Him. Phileo. That's the kind of love that we're supposed to have. And so our last point this morning is be a lover of God and others. Be a lover of God and others. Now let me show you a couple of verses John chapter 16, verse first, verses 26 and 27. It says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself phileo you. Now we already know that God agapes us, right? He sent his Son, for God so loved the world. But not only does he agape us, he phileos us. The Father himself loves you because you have phileo me and have believed that I came forth from God. Now, this is quite remarkable. God is not an impassioned deity that is sitting up there who is not moved by anybody or anything on this earth. In this verse, we see that he has a smile on his face when he looks down at us, his children. It puts a smile on his face. He wants to come into our fellowship or come to fellowship with us because he cares about us. He wants to engage us. He phileos us. And we are to phileo him in return. And so we enter in this great fellowship with him. In the next passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 22. And here's, a, here's an interesting verse. It says, If anyone does not phileo the Lord Jesus Christ... Let him be accursed, O Lord, come. If anyone does not phileo the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I have to say that this kind of love is the kind of love that you, again, you cannot wait to be in the presence of God. There is a desire, there is a passion, there is an affection in your heart for the things of God. It is not just an intellectual exercise or an intellectual choice that you make. It is the desire that streams from the heart to come into the presence of God and to do the things of God and to engage God and to engage the people of God. We want to because we love it. We love Him. We love one another. We phileo the Lord Jesus and we phileo one another. 
And so here we come to, back to our title, the heart-touching love. The heart-touching love. It is the kind of love that we're to have to God. It is the kind of love that we're to have to one another. It is the love that moves our affections. It moves our passions. It moves our desires. It brings on friendship and kinship with one another. And that is the kind of love that he wants us to have. In addition to the other kind of agape love where we choose to live for him.